standing as we hear more from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one of, him, one of who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same day, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into the prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of God, for we are the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray together. Holy and loving God, gather all of my insufficiencies and place them in your hands, that you alone may be seen and glorified. Amen. In the 1998 movie Smoke Signals, two Native American young men living in Idaho bond over their love and conflict around their father figure, Arnold. Victor is Arnold's biological son, while Thomas came to their family after Arnold saved Thomas from a fire where both of his parents died. Victor struggles with his father's actions of abuse and alcoholism, which eventually lead to Arnold abandoning the family. When Victor's father, Arnold, dies in Phoenix, Arizona, Victor and Thomas head out on a journey to retrieve his ashes. The trip reveals the different perspectives of the two young men about the same person. Thomas sees Arnold as a hero and an idol, while Victor sees only his father's failings. Through their expedition, Victor is forced to face the nuances of his father's life and shortcomings. At the end of the film, Victor is shown spreading the ashes of his father in the Spokane River as a poem by Dick Laurie is read in the background. The poem is printed in your sermon notes this morning. It's called, How Do We Forgive Our Fathers? 
the poem speaks to the ambiguity and the difficulty of forgiveness, particularly the forgiveness that we give to our parents. I have not known very many people who didn't need to offer some type of forgiveness in their family. Forgiveness to a parent, to a sibling, to a child. Even those closest to us, those we trust the most, can let us down. Even those we respect the most or those we believe have the greatest faith in God, they make mistakes too. Today is All Saints Day, one of my absolute favorite days in the church. It's a day when we speak the names of all of those in our church membership who've died in the past year. We do so in the context of the communion liturgy. And we do that because we believe that at the table, Christ is present. And Christ connects us to Christians in every time and place. The witness of Christians who have gone to live in the eternal peace and presence of God is not only about what they have gained in death, but about the trust they exhibited on earth. If we were to ask the saints about their Christian faith and life, they probably would not share that it was always perfect or that it was always rosy, but that at times they struggled. At times they sinned. At times they needed to rely on Jesus for their salvation and their joy. To be a saint doesn't mean they never stood in need of forgiveness or that they never had to humble themselves and forgive another person. To be a saint means that they witness to a power greater than themselves. The power of God. To reconcile all things. Their sainthood meant that they believe in forgiveness. When we consider the saints of our faith, those who have gone before us, and even those who surround us in the pews today, we're reminded that the church is a family, and we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that we shed our old identities and family loyalties to be devoted to Christ alone and to be part of this new family. This great commitment and calling is filled with blessings and fraught with challenges. Like any family, we must learn to forgive one another. Jesus gives us a guide in Matthew 18 for speaking to one another in love when there is sin and disagreement in the Christian community. When we feel slighted, we are supposed to go directly to that individual and address it. As we know, this is very easy to say and very hard to do. Talking about our problems, especially when it involves sin and hurt and pain or unforgiveness, tends to make us want to run in the other direction. In order to follow God's instructions, we must remember that unforgiveness is destructive to the body of Christ. Unforgiveness is destructive to the body of Christ. You've heard that phrase, two wrongs don't make a right, so meeting a slight with revenge or holding a grudge only exacerbates the problem. 
As Christians, we're called to work towards reconciliation in most circumstances. When we do this difficult work, as Douglas Hare puts it, we are humbled and strengthened by Christ in our midst. We hear those powerful words from this scripture that we typically actually associate with worship. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Isn't it interesting that it is surrounding a conflict and addressing that conflict that God is present? What might happen if we acknowledged Christ's presence even when we have to have difficult conversations? We also must keep in mind that there are times when safety concerns for the individuals or the community involved in conflict prohibits reconciliation and a renewal of that relationship. In these cases, forgiveness is really an individual work that is accompanied by trusted friends. In the book of Forgiven, Desmond and Mifo Tutu, they describe several steps toward forgiveness. And I want to kind of talk about the first two today. The first is telling the story. And the second is naming the pain. Telling the story involves giving an account of what happened. The story focuses on the facts, the series of events, the actions and the words as you experience them. It involves honesty and speaking the truth. Stories are a powerful way to acknowledge that the painful event occurred and begin to accept that we cannot go back in time and change this reality. Naming the pain addresses the feelings you experience from that sin or conflict or slight. Embracing our feelings, our grief, and our hurt enables us to move forward toward healing. Hurt will come out in our lives. If we choose not to express that in, in healthy ways, we might turn that hurt inward in bitterness and resentment, or we might direct it towards others in anger or revenge. Sharing our pain with a trusted friend helps us to heal. Of course, we wish that the way that this whole process worked was kind of a seamless process of forgiveness. We might hurt one another, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, we change our ways, we move forward, but it is rarely that simple. Sometimes we have to choose to forgive someone who has not repented, someone who's unsafe to speak to anymore, or someone who might be deceased. Forgiveness in this context involves a great inner work, but it still invites the presence of our friends, um, you know, maybe a trusted family member to hear the story and the expression of our feelings. In the second reading from Matthew 18 this morning, Peter inquires of Jesus, how many times is he expected to forgive his brothers and sisters for their mistakes and their sins? Jesus issues that shocking number, not just seven times, right, but 70 times seven. Afterward, Jesus launches into that story where the servant of the king owes this large sum of money. The king considers selling the servant and his family into slavery, but the servant begs for patience and for time to get to pay him back. 
Soon after, that same servant is confronted with another person who owes him money this time, and for a much smaller sum. The first servant decides to throw him into debtor's prison. Now, when word gets around about um, this servant's action and the king finds out about his ungracious behavior, he chastises him. Why, after being shown this grace and mercy, would the servant turn around and completely forget how to extend that forgiveness to another? We know this story because we live it. Although we have been forgiven many times over, we often fail to extend the same level of forgiveness to those who harm us. We love it when exceptions and gifts are made toward us, but we often have difficulty when we are the ones on the receiving end of the hurt. For this reason, Jesus reminds us that forgiveness is a lifestyle, something we have to keep doing. Towards the end of the chapter, Jesus reminds us that forgiveness is part of living in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness must be practiced in the community with one another. From this story, we see that we are interconnected and that our actions and habits of forgiveness affect those around us as much as they affect ourselves. To do this work of forgiveness, we must rely on God. We're given the opportunity over and over in the community to confess and repent and reconcile and then come together in communion. Each week in this sanctuary, we extend peace to one another. While our acts of peace might sometimes seem like just saying hello, right? It has a much deeper meaning and function. Our moment of passing the peace is meant to be a time of reconciliation. A time to say, I'm sorry. A time to renew our relationships with one another. In some ways, passing the peace is symbolic of the deeper work of forgiveness we must do with one another as a part of living in the community and being the member a member of the church. To be a part of this body, we commit to working through our problems, asking for forgiveness, and extending mercy to one another. As each of us repents of our own sin, we are surrounded by the embrace of a loving community or the handshake of a dear friend. In this, we acknowledge the forgiveness that we share and we represent the forgiveness of Jesus. Among the people of God, we heal more quickly, don't we? Recognizing that we are not alone on this journey of forgiveness. And I believe that this is the wisdom of the Eucharist. We partake in Christ's body and blood and are reunited not only with Christ, but with one another and with the saints in heaven. If we could hear those saints speaking to us today, maybe they would remind us to be a people of forgiveness. Maybe they would tell us to look to Christ to be our guide and our helper. Maybe they would encourage us to extend a hand of peace. Praise God.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the table of grace. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of peace. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy of forgiveness. Amen.